0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. It's episode 56 of Law for Virginia Law Enforcement Officers. We're talking about law. What do you need to know as a law enforcement officer in Virginia to better serve and strengthen your community? Constitutional law, statutory law, new cases from the courts of appeals. And today, you know, we talked a long time ago about electronic records from, cell phone companies and internet companies, internet providers, apps, and so on. And I think back when we did those episodes, you know, whatever, 40 episodes ago, I said, none of this applies to financial records. And I said, don't worry, I'll come back sometime and we'll talk about how do you get financial records in a case? How do you get records from banks and credit card companies and credit reports and all that kind of stuff? Uh, And then we never did it. And we haven't done a lot of episodes this summer because there haven't been a lot of new cases from the courts of appeals. The General Assembly, which is actually in session, uh, is only working on budget items. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to go back and talk about the law regarding getting financial records, whether they be bank credit card records, credit reports, whatever, um, for your criminal investigation. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to talk about it again next episode, too, because I want to talk especially next next episode about a tool that I think 96, 98% of law enforcement don't know about. And it's one of the most powerful tools available for law enforcement if you know how to use it. Uh, whether you're doing an, a violent crime investigation, whether you're doing a missing person's investigation, uh, whether you're doing a, you know obviously a, an investigation into a financial crime of some kind. So we'll talk about that, which is the SAR requirement and the SAR, the suspicious activity report. We'll talk about that next episode. but in this episode today, I want to talk about the fundamentals. What do you what are the tools that are available to you if you need to get financial records in your case? Now, I want to stop for a second before we start talking about this and say, you know, we've we've talked about how do you get records from an internet service provider like Google or Facebook or from from a cell phone company like AT&T, Verizon, and so on. And you know from that conversation that you can use a search warrant or a court order in a lot of situations. And a lot of you choose to do a search warrant because a search warrant oftentimes, frankly, is just easier. And a search warrant is that universal key that opens all locks but when it comes to financial records uh, i think what we found especially in recent years is that the search warrant is not a key that opens all locks that in fact magistrates in virginia especially have denied a lot of search warrants because they don't feel that they have jurisdiction issue those warrants. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit and talk about that issue and what's going on there. But, uh, you know, a lot of officers have expressed frustration about this. And so I want to talk about that issue today, especially because, uh, you know, there is this struggle going on with magistrates regarding search warrants. But all those electronic records statutes that we talked about, 19.270.3 in Virginia and then the federal statute, 18 U.S.C. 2703, 2705, you know, all these code sections that Um, and all these tools that exist under state and federal law, they don't apply to requests for financial records. And that is written into the federal code. It actually says uh, if you're looking for records of an electronic communication, it can't be regarding electronic communications about financial records, right? Because those are records that belong to banks and credit card companies and so on. You have to use a different set of legal process for that. Now, in the federal system, if you were a federal agent, if you were a federal prosecutor, you'd have lots of tools available to you to get those records. You could use a grand jury subpoena or that kind of thing uh, to get those records. But in the state system, in Virginia, uh, we have a smaller, a more limited set of tools available to us to get those records. The other thing I want to tell you before we start talking about what the law actually is is that unlike electronic records, when we talk about bank records and financial records, um, although the law provides tools for you to get those records, there is no general legal requirement, at least in Virginia, and certainly not constitutionally, that you use any kind of legal process to get financial records. So there's a U.S. Supreme Court case in the 1970s called Williams, and... Uh, In that case, the U.S. Supreme Court considered whether or not the Constitution protects, provides, provides privacy for financial records. And when the U.S. Supreme Court considered this issue, they looked at the way that financial records were being held and kept and shared by financial services companies, credit card companies, banks, and so on. And pretty quickly figured out, you know, these records aren't even remotely private, even in the 1970s. And so it wouldn't be reasonable for a person nowadays to think that your financial records are private. I mean, you know, you know, right, as soon as you refinance your house, suddenly your your mail starts filling up with, you know, offers to refinance and new credit cards and so on. If you open one new credit card, suddenly you get all kinds of other solicitation for other credit cards. Uh, You know, as soon as you... Spend money somewhere uh, on your, you know, your bank. As soon as soon as that happens at your bank, you see ads popping up all over the place for you know, the, you know that thing. If you buy spend money at Starbucks, suddenly you get promotions for Starbucks and so on. Credit card companies, banks, and so on are constantly buying and selling your information. Now, so are the electronic companies, or Facebook and Google and whatever. But all that being said, um, there's nothing special about your financial information that's really private under the Constitution or under Virginia law. Now, there is an act called the Right to Financial Privacy in the federal system, but the most important thing to know about that is it only applies to investigations by federal agencies. So uh, the Right to Financial Privacy Act has certain stipulations and requirements. You know, if if an FBI agent requests financial records from a company, that doesn't apply to you. You don't use those tools. You're not an FBI agent. It doesn't matter. Uh, And those rules exist because FBI agents, it's pretty easy for them to get financial records. So those rules were put in place to protect, to to regulate them. Uh, But it's not as easy for you to get financial records as it is for an FBI agent. And so uh, that act doesn't apply to you. But if you're worried, oh, you know, if I get these financial records in this way or that way, will they, will I somehow be violating this person's privacy? Will the the records be suppressed? Uh, The answer is no, because you don't have a constitutional right to privacy in your financial records. Um, And, and again, that sort of stands to reason since our financial records are basically not private anyway these days. But that being said, financial records are a fantastic resource for law enforcement. In fact, if you think about it, you know, what would tell you more about someone if you were doing an investigation, whether you're doing a drug investigation or a violent crimes investigation or an investigation into a child exploitation case uh, or indeed a financial investigation what would tell you more about somebody and their habits and what kind of person they were would you rather have the you know their their google geolocation data or would you rather have a record of all their spending where they spent their money for the last three months, right? Of course, all day, every day, I'd rather have their spending than their geolocation data. Because, you know, the geolocation data, especially nowadays in COVID, is just going to be, you know, home, gas station, grocery store, office, back, you know, blah, 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 boring, boring, boring. <clears throat> but wow, the, the record of their spending could really tell me a lot about this person. So it's very powerful information if we can get our hands on it. Uh, but how do you get your hands on it lawfully in the Commonwealth of Virginia? What are the tools uh, that are available to you under under state law So the first thing i want to start out with is uh, obviously you can get a search warrant and and there's nothing wrong with getting a search warrant again a, a search warrant in general is a key that opens all locks almost all locks but we have run into a problem recently in the last few years now for decades magistrates in virginia would issue search warrants for bank records if you had a probable cause to believe that the records uh, were relevant to a legitimate law enforcement inquiry. But several years ago, the magistrates read a decision from the Second Circuit Court of Appeals, which is not us, it's up in New York, in a case involving Microsoft. And they became concerned that financial records that we were giving getting search warrants for weren't actually physically located in Virginia. And they became concerned that they didn't have jurisdiction to issue search warrants for records if the records weren't located in Virginia. Now, that having been said, the records really aren't located anywhere. You know, they have, you know, they have, uh, they're, they're stored digitally. And so they're stored, you know, in the cloud or in a hard drive. And who knows where the hard drive is? They probably, the company themselves probably doesn't know where the physical hard drive is. The records might be sort of sharded or sliced up or kept in all sorts of different places. So, you know, the, the subpoena compliance division for Bank of America might be located in Atlanta. That doesn't necessarily mean the records are located in Atlanta, but the magistrates have taken the position recently. And again, this is the magistrates, not the judges or not the courts, not any Virginia, sta- in any Virginia court of appeals or Supreme Court or Fourth Circuit or District Court, nowhere in Virginia. But some courts somewhere else and our magistrates have taken the position that if you can't Uh, demonstrate in your search warrant affidavit that the records you're looking for are actually located in Virginia that is to say they've been printed out and they're somehow located in Virginia or they're stored on a server here in Virginia Uh, that you can't get a search warrant for those records because the magistrate feels that they don't have jurisdiction to order a search of the bank in their jurisdiction if the bank in their jurisdiction doesn't have the records now, if you read our search warrant statute, that immediately doesn't make sense. And you'll see why in a minute, because it's written in such a way that it's, it contemplates that you're serving search warrants um, outside of Virginia and on an area you know, somewhere far away. So the search warrant statute is clearly written so that you can serve a search warrant out of state, and yet the magistrates take this reading. So uh, until, unless and until the General Assembly fixes that statute, uh, so that the magistrates understand, their, their, their are, are much more clear about their authority, um, there is this problem. So how do you fix that problem? Well, one way to fix the problem would be to take your search warrant to a local general district court judge or JDR court judge or circuit court judge. And, and that's always a, a way to solve a problem if you have a magistrate who's not giving a search warrant. Uh, under any circumstances, you are always welcome to go see any judge, because any judge in Virginia, JDR court, circuit court, J- general district court, can issue a search warrant. And many officers have been doing this for some time, and I have yet to hear of a situation where a judge has refused to issue a search warrant on one of these grounds that the magistrates have cited, um, which should tell you something about the quality of the thinking on this issue. But that having been said, that's always an issue. Um the other way to get a search to get financial records to get an order for financial records though under virginia law and this is a very powerful tool is getting a court order and we call them a subpoena duces tecum under the statute under a code section called 19.2-10.1 now 19.2-10.1 was enacted about 20 years ago And when it was enacted, it's called a, it's interesting, it's not called a court order. It's basically a subpoena for financial records, a subpoena deuces tecum for financial records, kind of. But unlike most subpoenas, subpoenas usually go out once a case has started, once you've already arrested somebody, charged somebody, indicted somebody. This kind of subpoena can be issued before trial, before an arrest, before an indictment, before there's ever a case in court you can get this kind of subpoena. It's basically a court order, uh, much like, you know, one of your nineteen point two seventy point three orders for Fe- Facebook records or AT&T records or Google records or whatever. Now, in 19.2, subpoena, you do have to go to the circuit court to get one of these orders. But under 19.2, a court shall issue a subpoena if... You are able to demonstrate in your affidavit probable cause that a crime has been committed. And in addition, uh, if you were able to demonstrate that the records or the information that is sought is relevant to a legitimate law enforcement inquiry. And again, pretty powerful tool there, right? You have the probable cause of a crime and the records are relevant. They don't necessarily have to be the suspect's records, right? Uh, The victim's records might be relevant to a legitimate law enforcement inquiry. A missing witness's records might be relevant to a legitimate law enforcement inquiry. Uh, I should caution though that you can't use these in a missing person's case, and people many times have tried to use them in missing person's cases. The trick with it is that 19.2, 10.1 does require that you show probable cause that a crime has been committed. And so, you know, again, Uh, the issue here is if you don't have a probable cause of a crime then you you can't get one of these orders. I should say also that if you're looking for your victims records and you could use this to get victims records um, you should pause for a second and ask yourself do I need any kind of legal process to get my victims records and I say that because under federal law under 15 U.S.C. 1681 and in specifically Section 609E of what is called the Fair Credit Reporting Act, a victim may request their own information if they are the victim of identity theft. Uh, There's even a form available. If you go to the ftc.gov website, you can get the form under, again, it's Section 609E of the Fair Credit Reporting Act that they can fill out. And it requires a... Uh, a financial services company or uh, or any company you know if it's direct tv if it's you know a uh, satellite tv company whatever to give the victim their own records if they're the victim of identity theft and <clears throat> this was enacted to solve a problem that that I, that we saw all the time which was a victim would be a victim of identity theft they would call up and they'd say you know I didn't you know I didn't you, you're sending me a bill for $2000 or $3000 $2, to direct tv for example and the victim says, well, I don't have DirecTV. I didn't order DirecTV. They say, well, you owe us the money. It says here and right here that you signed up for the service and you had it installed. And They're like, well, what address? When was this done? Whatever. And they say, well, we can't give you those records. Well, why not? Well, because you said it's not you. Yeah, but you're charging me $3,000. Yeah, but you're saying it's not you. Okay, well, if it's not me, then take my name off and stop, stop billing me $3,000. Well, no, we can't do that because it says here's the responsible party, right? So you see this circle. So the federal government Uh, enacted this requirement that said that that the companies have to turn over victims' records within 30 days on a written request from the victim. And the victim can request that the records be sent to law enforcement. So uh, if you have an identity theft case, your victim could fill out one of these forms, request that the information be sent to you, and under federal law, they have to respond within 30 days. Now that's pretty good, because a search warrant for bank records, a 19.2, 10.1 subpoena for bank records, doesn't have a deadline built into it. But this one does have a deadline built in a 30-day deadline so i always encourage officers to use this code section first if they can because even though it's not a court order or a subpoena it turns out to be the most powerful of all these different tools when it's when it's applicable and it's not of course always applicable so if i'm doing a 19.2 10.1 subpoena who can i direct that to well under the virginia code you can send it to a financial institution And that includes like a money transmitter like western union or sieg it includes credit reporting companies like transunion equifax or experian and it includes uh, credit card issuers as well now of course it also includes banks and financial institutions um, and that's obvious right Um, now credit reporting agencies i want to just pause for a second and say think about a credit report i mean how many times have you done an investigation into somebody and requested their credit report? Whenever I poll law enforcement officers, I tend to find that if I have 100 officers in the page in the front of me, maybe one or two has ever pulled a credit report on somebody to do an investigation. And yet, think about all the information that's in your own credit report. I mean, that's a huge amount of information, prior addresses, uh, you know, where you have account, where you have credit cards, your billing history of the credit card. Um, all sorts of other information, and why don't we request that? You know, What is it that's telling us that we don't need that information or we don't want that information? <clears throat> Would that be useful to you if you were doing an investigation to someone who's engaged in financial fraud? Would it be useful to you to somebody who is a suspect in your case and you can't find them, you don't know where they are, um, you know that they're out of state, you know that they scammed a whole bunch of people in your jurisdiction for whatever, um, but you don't know where they are, you're trying to find them. <clears throat> why wouldn't you re- love to have their credit report? Because I bet you it has a good address for them. uh, That's a good current address. And again, here you can use a 19.2, 10.1 subpoena to get their credit report. You can also use a 19.2, 10.1 subpoena to get uh, records from a credit card issuer. And, you know, credit card issuers, obviously, you know, who are credit card issuers? Well, we all know, you know, American Express, Bank of America. I mean, uh, um, I almost said Bank of America card. That shows how old I am. For some people in this podcast, you know how old I am uh, now. Um, you know, American Express or uh, MasterCard or Visa. But the code section says that, uh, cre- that that a credit card under the Virginia Code is more than that. A credit card also includes any instrument or device, whether known as a credit card or by other, any other name, that's issued with or without a fee by an issuer for the use of the cardholder in obtaining money, goods, or services, or anything else of value, and you know that's really interesting. I mean, that, I want you to think about that definition. Any kind of instrument, or device, whether it's called a credit card or not, that's issued with or without a fee, to use to obtain money, goods, services, or anything else of value. So you know what's in your wallet? What's in your digital wallet? That you use to get something, money, goods, or services, or anything of the value, right? I mean, you use credit cards, you use a gas credit card. Do you have a points club card at a gas station? Do you have a points club card at Kroger or Giant or CVS? And is your CVS card known as a credit card or by any other name? Is it issued with with or without a fee? Is it issued to obtain money, goods, services, or anything of value? Uh, a friend of mine had a Hallmark card one time and she was so excited because I was buying something at Hallmark. I didn't have my own credit card. She said, you don't, you have my own Hallmark card. Of course, I don't go there very often. but, um, But she said, you don't have a Hallmark card? I said, no. She said, do you mind if I put your purchases on my Hallmark card? And I said, I don't care why. She said, well, I'm just in the level for Hallmark of getting something for free. And so this would push me over. So I did my purchase. She was really excited. And then she got some tchotchke of some kind from Hallmark and she was all excited about it. Um, and so there's lots of these little points club cards that you get. And uh, some of them uh, are digital. Some of them are for online services. But, you know, how many times have you done a case where somebody's using a, used a stolen credit card at Giant or Kroger or CVS and then use their own Kroger card or use their own Giant bonus card or use their own CVS card uh, at the same time to get the points, right? Because out of habit or because they genuinely want to get the points, right? Uh, it matters to them. And so here's a great way. If you have a video of a suspect who's using a stolen credit card, you don't know who the suspect is, but they use a bonus card of some kind, a points card of some kind, you can use this statute to get their records. Um, you know, would a, a gym membership card uh, be susceptible to this? Sure, absolutely. So <clears throat> I just want you to think sort of outside the box about what kinds of uh items that you could use this statute to get you know, to get search warrants for for the records of i'm sorry i said search warrant i meant i meant subpoena under 19.2 10.1 so uh and again internet would work as well it doesn't have to be a physical card it's any instrument or device now I did mention before uh, that the Virginia Code is written so that search warrants can be served out of state. Um, But if I'm doing that, how do I go about serving that search warrant? If I can get a search warrant for financial records, how do I go about serving it? Well, the Virginia Code is pretty clear about it. It says that a search warrant for records of a financial institution, money transmitter, credit report, or credit card issuer, can be issued by hand, mail, commercial delivery service, facsimile, or any electronic means. And the code section states the search warrant is considered executed in the jurisdiction where the entity on which the warrant is served is located. Now, what I wanna pause here and say is, and I think the magistrates are right about this. If you have an entity that doesn't do business in Virginia, and an example of this would be USAA. So USAA has customers in Virginia, but they don't, they're not actually physically located in Virginia. They don't have a branch. They don't have a, uh, a physical location in Virginia, at least they didn't last time that I dealt with them. They have physical locations pretty much in Texas, and I don't think many other places. Uh, if you want a search warrant for USAA's records under Virginia law, uh, you would have to get a search warrant in Texas for their records. There is no way to get a search warrant for USAA's records in Virginia, uh, because they're not the that entity is not located here in Virginia. Um, now there are entities that are located in Virginia: Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Capital One, um, you know Navy Federal Credit Union, all those different types of jurisdictions. So those kinds of financial institutions they are located in virginia and so uh the code does say the search warrant is considered executed in the jurisdiction where the entity on which the warrant is served is located so if you serve a warrant on you know capital one and capital one is located in the city of richmond then the warrant is considered executed in the city of richmond if you have an entity a bank of america branch that you're serving and it's in located in arlington then it would be uh, considered to be served in Arlington because the Bank of America is located in Arlington. Now, once I've served it, of course, and I've sent a copy or I've emailed a copy to the to you know to Atlanta or wherever they want me to send it to, you know, because obviously when I show up to the Bank of America branch in Arlington, they're going to say, well, you know, this is something that we process through our subpoena compliance division. You say, fine, I'll I will send it to, or I will send a copy to, or I'll email a copy to uh... the subpoena compliance section you know in in atlanta or whatever Um, when do you file the return Well, fortunately the rule for this is exactly the same as the rule for electronic records from facebook and google and at&t and so on Uh, back in twenty seventeen the general assembly finally updated this code section to say the same thing so now and the officer executing the warrant, you obviously put the date of execution and file it, but you file it within three days after you receive the materials from the provider, from the financial services company. So if you send out a uh, a search warrant for bank records from Bank of America or Capital One and you serve them in Richmond or, or Arlington or wherever you serve it, and then you send a copy to the subpoena compliance section or you email a copy to the um to the uh the bank security officer or whatever and then you sit on your hands for two months or three months or four months or five months or wherever long it takes them to get respond and you know bank of america wells wells fargo can take you know (laughs) yeah i've heard of never getting records back um but you know it's not unusual to see five months six months uh, after yelling and screaming and so on trying to get them back Um, you file that return within three days after getting the records six months from now. So, you know, six months plus three days, that's when you file your return. And again, that's something that's new. I mean, it's relatively new. That's a rule that was enacted in 2017. But now it's exactly the same as the rule regarding the records for electronic records as well. Again, then why it doesn't make sense that the magistrates would say, oh, you ca- I can't give you a search warrant unless you can identify that the records are actually already available in the local branch, because why would this code section exist? Why would it say that, you know, why would it contemplate that you might not be getting the records back for, for five or six months? But that's an argument for another day. Um, and the return is made in the circuit court clerk's office. Uh, for the jurisdiction where the warrant was executed and a warrant is considered executed in the jurisdiction where the entity on which the warrant is served is located. So again, if you're getting a search warrant for records from Capital One, that's the city of Richmond. Even if you're an officer in Fairfax County, uh, if you're serving it in Capital One, then you execute it in Capital One in Richmond and then you make the return in the circuit court clerk's office for the city of Richmond. Uh, which means you may have to fax a return to them or you know that kind of thing so um so just be aware of that if you're handling it that way now remember if you were doing a subpoena for financial records under nineteen point two ten point one, then you would simply do your subpoena and there is no return required as far as the subpoena instead uh what happens with the subpoena is that the subpoena itself states um, that you that well it'll state in the terms of the subpoena that the records should be held by you uh, and then at some point returned to the circuit court uh, for filing and, and and ultimately for for destruction or for sealing by the circuit court so in a subpoena situation or 19.2 10.1 and if you're doing one of these you'll see this in the form Uh, The form actually states that, it states how the records should be handled, that they shall be, and you can write this in your subpoena, it could be written so that um, that you hold the records until further order of the court, or that you turn them back over to the court at the conclusion of the investigation, or that you destroy them, or whatever. Um, In my orders, I would usually say it should be held by the police department until further order of the court. Uh, but that does provide then that those records have to be held by the police department until further order of the court, and then you dispose of them later. But you don't have to uh, uh, file a return regarding a subpoena, whereas you do have to file a return regarding a search warrant. So the procedure is a little bit different uh, between the two. I, you know, from my personal preference, I always like the subpoena, but again, it's what works for you. A search warrant is a universal key that opens all locks. So that's a little primer on doing uh, uh, requests under Virginia law for financial records. The next episode, I want to talk about federal law, I want to talk about the tools available from the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network from FinCEN, and specifically about suspicious activity reports, currency transaction reports, and the tools that are available to all law enforcement officers in in, in the United States. Uh, that we use so rarely, and yet are so valuable in especially money laundering and fraud cases. But for today, that's all from me. Uh, That's all from Big E. If you like the podcast, uh, tell your friends. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher. We're on Apple Podcasts. If you want me to be on another app, let me know. I'm happy to jump on there. Uh, Thanks for the feedback, everybody. I appreciate the feedback I've been getting recently. But other than that, for today, that's all from me. Stay safe and don't get captured.